STOSA, or single team-oriented service architecture, is an important guiding principle for organizations that have development teams that own and manage applications composed of multiple services. It's a management model for optimizing the scalability and availability for all cloud-native applications. This is a two-part episode featuring my good friend Beth Long, who interviews me on the topic of STOSA. This is a must-listen for any organization looking to improve their operation and development efficiencies in a cloud-native world. In the last episode, we concluded talking about what's involved with a healthy STOSA organization. In this episode, Beth and I continue our conversation on the makeup of healthy STOSA organizations. Are you ready? Let's go. This is the Modern Digital Business Podcast, the technical leader's guide to modernizing your applications and digital business. Whether you're a business technology leader or a small business innovator, keeping up with the digital business revolution is a must. Here to help make it easier with actionable insights and recommendations, as well as thoughtful interviews with industry experts, Lee Atchison. This is a two-part episode featuring my good friend, Beth Long, who interviews me on the topic of STOSA. So thinking about a healthy STOSA organization, one of the specific examples that came to mind was when I was on a team in, in a STOSA organization that was handed a service to own, and it sort of followed all of these, all of these check boxes you know, we, we owned the, the full uh, uh, deployment and uh, maintenance and everything of the service, but it was something we had inherited and were ill-equipped to manage. And so, you know, yes, yes, it was a uh, single team, but it was, we, we weren't really the right team to own it. And so um, what can I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask about specifically was when organizations reorg, which they do constantly, how can they be thinking about um, not just are we uh, having single ownership, single team ownership, but are, do we have the right team owning? I, I think um, you know, that's that's a really good question, and I think you know the. You're always going to have problems with, do you have the right skill set in the organization at various points? And it's one of the most important jobs of a management team to deal with that question. But one of the things that can help you deal with that is, is if you is a change in mindset that you're not talking about development teams, you're talking about product teams. And if you can think of your teams, your STOSA teams, as product owners versus a development team that's writing in Go for this section of code. It helps a lot because then you can start thinking about what is the responsibility of this team? It's to do this capability. What's the responsibility of this team? Deployments for the company. What's the responsibility of this team? User login. What's what's the what's the importance of what's the priority of this team? Uh, front end JavaScript deployment um, phase three, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever this, the, the, the capability is, it's a business requirement. 
and these are business teams. Then when you start thinking about reorganizing, you're reorganizing business responsibilities versus individuals. And by reorganizing the business responsibilities, then you can start figuring out, okay, well, for this business responsibility, we need these skill sets here, here, and here. And let that flow the people that come out of it versus the organization itself. You know, it's, it's so easy, especially as you get higher up in the management chains. Well, actually, it's probably more so in the lower to middle tier management chains of, of not wanting to give up your resources, right? You have a certain number of resources you don't want to give up. But if you stop thinking about resources and start thinking about product business responsibilities, the resource decisions become a lot clearer after you've made the decisions about how you want to adjust the product responsibilities. So think of your teams as product owners, not as development teams. And once you make that mindset shift, it helps a lot to alleviate some of those issues. Cool. It also can start alleviating problems like, well, this team wants to build in Go, and this team wants to build in Java, and this team wants to build in, you know, it's, it, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, we have to make sure that, it, you know, yeah, the team can own decision-making, but they have to use this language because we've got skill sets in the company for this language, blah, 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 blah. And, and the problem with that is any decision you make at a global level takes responsibility away from the service teams and removes their level of flexibility to be able to achieve STOSA level of responsibility. And as you scale to a larger organization, those become your bottleneck points. There's only so many Go programmers out there. There's only so many, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the individual decisions become less important. In order to allow you to scale and grow, you have to let those decisions be owned by the individual teams, even if the result of making those decisions looks suboptimally globally. So if you have 50 teams and 10 use Go and five use Java and one use Node, you know, that's not necessarily bad, even though on paper it might look bad. You know, that the one team that's using Node is going to be very hard to replace people on because nobody else knows Node in the company and how do we backfill and all those sorts of things. Well, that's only a problem if you're thinking about them as development teams and not thinking about them as product owners. You, know, you have to ask the question, can the team that's writing in Node fulfill their business responsibilities? And do they have the right tools in place to make that happen? And if so, great. If not, then that's a business issue that you have to deal with. But if they're able to solve their issues, you know, let them do their own hiring. Let them, you know, or they use the shared pool of, of um, the shared team that helps with hiring, right? There's a shared team that does that now too, right? You know, um, you know, you, you know it, maybe they can leverage them to help them fill their gaps where they need to, or maybe they can't. You know, and, and that's a decision they have to make. And, and in fact, it may be such that if you, by giving them these decisions, they may end up saying, hey, Node has all these advantages, but it's got these disadvantages too, because in this organization, it's harder to find people and all that sort of stuff, and have that affect their decision. As long as it's the decision of the team, of the business group that's making that decision, as long as it's that level of a decision, 
That's all that matters. That's how you can build a scalable organization. This strikes me as so powerful and something that's that's so easy to miss. This notion that you are um, you're picking picking the problems that you're going to have. <laughs> like you're going to have problems whichever direction you go, and this notion that you can you can't optimize everything at every scale for every outcome. You have to pick what you're optimizing for, and if you Absolutely. focus on you know back to this kind of having a, a healthy ecosystem in total rather than optimizing for the efficiency of hiring, say, um, you're going to get a better result in the long term and you have to accept that there's going to be a cost attached to that because there always is, um, but, it, but, that it's, but that it's worth it. Absolutely. It's, you know, it, yeah. it's so easy to think I need to optimize at every level and every dial, every way possible. And the, the only thing you can do by doing that is guarantee you can't scale. Yes. Scale the organization. You, you will yep. always be a small company, never able to grow bigger if you yep. always need to optimize to that level. You have yep. to pick your level of, of optimization, if you will, using what the terms you were using. Do you want to op, uh, optimize for overall system or individual services? Well, if you're, if you're thinking of the organization as a whole, you need to optimize for the entire organization. The individual service owner needs to optimize for their own service, for their own responsibilities, and they need to deal with optimization at that level. But you don't, and their decisions don't have to match the decisions of the services right next to them. Are you looking to become an architect? Or perhaps you are looking to learn how to drive your organization towards better utilization of the cloud. I have a whole series of cloud and architecture courses available on LinkedIn Learning. For more information on the courses I have available, please go to leeatchison.com slash courses or click the link in the show notes. And, you know, it's, it, this is like microeconomics versus macroeconomics, right? You don't do the same things when you're optimizing your paycheck versus optimizing the global economy. It's there are a different set of problems you have to deal with and the exact same thing is true here. If you end up with a problem where, if you're the CTO of an organization that has 100 teams, 99 of which chose Go and one chose Node, you're looking at that and say, that one team had a pro has a problem. No, you've got a suboptimal organization and you've got a a organizational suboptimization situation there, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a problem. And if it is a problem, the solution dynamics you have for it are what are the encouragements in place for people to make such and such decisions and how do you help influence those decisions? Not telling that one team you optimized wrong. That's not the way you solve that problem. I, I love that. I love that so much. Um, it actually, it leads to another question about sort of the other end of the organizational scale, which is the situation that we're in at my startup. We currently just have one team, but it's clear, like, I can already see the lines of division forming and, you know, there's going to be mitosis at some point. <laughs> and so there, I, I'm already thinking about um, how how do we think about 
dividing up service ownership? Um, how do we even look at services that might be uh, a little bit too big and whether we need to divide them because we can't uh, have a single owner effectively if we keep that as a single service? So what are some of the things that a very small organization could be watching for so that they're kind of set up for success when they get to this point, even though they're not ready to be STOSA? Sure, sure. So, you know, even in a STOSA organization, one team can own multiple services. But one of the problems you run into in that environment is cross-service optimizations by that one team. So if this one team owns five services, it's so tempting to say, well, I can have service A talk to service B using this cheat because I own both ends of the code and I can make things happen and everything's wonderful when you do that. No, you have to think of yourself as five separate teams responsible for five separate services and have different hats on at various points in time as you deal with the, with the individual services. The services aren't together under a single team because they work together. They're under a single team because the size of the services each take one fifth of a team. And so having a team deal with five services makes sense. As you grow, you want to be able to take individual services out of that team and put them in other teams. And you can't do that if you have all these cheats in place. You can only do that if you have treated them all independently from the very beginning. And, and as you grow in the organization, finding where the service boundaries is, is a real important topic. And that's a whole nother podcast that we can talk about. Uh, you know, we have, um, I, I have something that I call the Goldilocks calculation about service sizing. What's too big of a service, too small of a service, and just right of sizing of services. And that's a whole nother discussion, but that's just as important because if you, if you build your services too big, then you can't have one team manage it. And if you build them too small, then the context switching between the services and the interconnection between the services gets to be a complex problem all on its own that is a much harder problem to solve. So you have to make sure your services are the right size. Um, and, and, you know, and there is some, this is probably another podcast episode that we can talk about where we talk about Goldilocks, but, I would love that. but there's certainly aspects of how you define your service boundaries that are important to make the separation possible. You know, one of the things that's part of STOSA that we haven't talked about yet is the idea of data. Now in the STOSA model and in my model of a service and in the Goldilocks model, data is part of the service. If you've got a piece of data that a service requires, that data is owned by the service and is part of the service and is therefore part of the SLAs and is part of the ownership model of STOSA and the sizing model of, of Goldilocks and all of that, it's all part of that service and that's all that matters. No one else can use that data. If another team needs to use that data, they have to go through a documented API with an SLA public interface or internally public anyway, to get to that data. And if there's multiple services that need a single piece of data, you're trying to figure out who owns that data, the answer is probably, nope, none of those five own the data, but another service would own the data. And perhaps the whole responsibility to that service is to provide that data. 
that's an okay model to have, but you want you don't want to treat data as separate. So many service companies have their code divided into services, but still use a central database with central tables and central schemas for all of their data. And that makes the ability to scale your, you know, how do you separate services and split up databases and things like that? It makes that a very complicated problem. And in fact, it makes your scaling of your organization very difficult. If you have to scale a database, so hard to do because how can you slice and dice this database in order to make this work? But if your individual services own the data and there's no data sharing between services other than through documented APIs, then if you need to pull a service out and put it in a separate team and take its data and put it into a separate database, that's easy because it's already separated. This is really powerful for, for smaller, younger companies because setting things up the way you're describing is genuinely easy when you're very small, yep. you have a small footprint, you have you know control over, over all of that data, and you can set that up in a way that grows gracefully over time if you do it up front. And we've both been in organizations that are trying to untangle... <laughs> data stores years into the process and it is a nightmare. So this is this is a, a huge deal for younger organizations to be thinking about early in the game. One of the earliest pieces of advice I give someone that's that's starting up, that's building a new startup, is think of yourself as a big company, not a small company. And don't build the application assuming that you're not a big company. And that sounds like overkill, but it's not. It's so quickly you'll run into scaling issues. You run into how do I split this thing up? It's hard now that I'm operating and I've got data and I have to, and I've got code that I haven't looked at in six months. It's using the state in a way I forgot about. And those sorts of problems are so wickedly complex that it's so much easier to say at the very beginning, hey, I'm building this application and even though I don't have any users yet, but I'm going to build 40 services and I'm going to connect them this way. And I only have two developers, but I'm building 40 services and I'm connecting them this way. That seems like overkill. It will haunt you if you don't do it later on. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Digital Business. This podcast exists because of the support of you, my listeners. If you enjoy what you hear, will you please leave a review on Apple Podcasts? or directly on our website at mdb.fm slash reviews. If you'd like to suggest a topic for an episode or you're interested in becoming a guest, please contact me directly by sending me a message at mdb.fm slash contact. And if you'd like to record a quick question or comment, click the microphone icon in the lower right-hand corner of our website. Your recording might be featured on a future episode. Make sure you get every new episode when they become available Click subscribe in your favorite podcast player or check out our website at mdb.fm. If you want to learn more from me, then check out one of my books, courses, or articles by going to leeatchison.com. And all of these links are included in the show notes. Thank you for listening and welcome to the world of the modern digital business.
Lee Atchison and Ken Gervonovich, my co-author on the book, Business Breakthrough 3.0. I think you're going to love this book. If you've wondered how your subconscious mind is like your business, this book is for you. Ken, what do you think? Yes, I think the subconscious mind, because again, businesses are simply a collection of people. But how do you get that enterprise agility? How do you get that spark factor that takes a company from 300 to 500 million? How do you build something from, you know, you and I are putting our desk together to 200 million? There's absolutely five distinct processes. But Lee, I almost think about it, the simpler part is, um, you know, it's really that kind of the, the definitive guide, at least that's our hope, right? For overcoming entrenched patterns and building a highly profitable business that most importantly attracts and retains people who truly love their job. It's coming out on Amazon and all of the major platforms that where you can buy business and technical books. It's coming out in hardcover, softcover, Kindle, ebook format, and it's coming out on Audible and on iTunes. So you'll have no excuse not to read, listen, or, or otherwise consume this book. Yes. And um, the exciting part, again, is we're hoping that this will have a huge impact. We've already got some great feedback from early readers. And once again, the book is Business Breakthrough 3.0 by Ken Gavranovich and Lee Atchison. Hope you enjoy. of your peers have in common? They've all boosted their skill set and career prospects by taking one of my online courses. Go to mdb.fm courses. Join your 100,000 close friends and peers and expand your knowledge and expertise only at Atchison Academy.